just appreciate you being here. This is the second of three weekend services, and I'm thankful that you're worshiping with us today. And for all of you who are worshiping in one service and serving in another, I just appreciate so much uh, your ministry here. And one of the great one of the great joys I have here on on the weekend is just walking up and down the hallways of the church and, and meeting people who are volunteering. And it, it really encourages me. And a lot of times, uh, what's really exciting is God has grown our church so quickly that sometimes I'm meeting volunteers for the very first time I've ever really gotten to talk to them here. So many of you have just gotten in here and gone straight to work and volunteering. And you're, what you're doing is changing the world. I, I, that's, that's no understatement to say. What you are doing is changing the world. And beyond that, you're not just changing this world. You're changing the next world. So I want to tell you how much I appreciate that. We're in a series called Shift. Five weeks, we're looking at people. God changed their names because he changed their identities and brought them up to a higher level. We've already talked about how that there are self-help books and seminars that can make you better, but God actually has the, has the ability to change who you are. God can get down, you know, into the gear work of your soul, under your hood, behind your grill, and he can go to work. And when he gets through, you won't be the same person that you were before, and it's always better. And there are five people, individuals, or places that God so radically transformed that he said, you're not going to be called this name anymore. I'm changing your name to this. Today is um, we're going to look at a character that I'm going to enjoy. I, I got to tell you, I'm going to enjoy this message because I see some of myself in this character, and I really need <clears throat> this message. And my guess is that all of us need it at some level, and some of us need it at a big level. Uh, when I think about him, I'm reminded of a cartoon that I grew up with, a cartoon character on television. And last night in the, in the Saturday night service, not too many people knew about this character, so I guess I'm really feeling my age. And, and don't laugh when I tell you when he first showed up because I wasn't around then. He first showed up in the silent film era, okay? So I want to give you that little break before I tell you that because some of you are going to say, wow, Mark, you are really old. Um, but I didn't know him in that era. He, he, in the 50s, he was brought back and he was given a theme song and, and he became a cartoon before the movies. And, and so some of us would have remembered him growing up in the 50s and 60s and maybe even 70s watching him on on cartoon television. And then I think they brought him back a few years ago. Wendy's brought him back for a feature. He, he was Felix the Cat. Do you remember Felix the Cat? All right, good. I'm feeling better. I'm not feeling as old as I felt last night. Well, there was a theme song that I remember before every Felix the Cat cartoon. It was Felix the Cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat. Whenever he gets in a fix, he always reaches into his... Okay, right, yeah, that's Felix. And our character is a lot like him because whenever he gets in a fix, he reaches into his bag of tricks. In fact, his name means tricky. His name means trickster, one who pulls things. He got this name when he was born, like most of us got our names, but he got his name because of what he did when he was born. He was a twin, and he had the misfortune to be second-born. Now, in Bible days, the firstborn son got almost everything. The next son got what was left over. And beyond that, Jacob was born to a very special family. His granddaddy was Abraham. And so it wasn't just like, you know, uh, Jacob and his brother were going to just inherit the family wealth. He, he stood in line to inherit God's ultimate promise of even making a nation out of this guy. That God would bless whoever blessed him and curse whoever cursed him and and that someday God would send a deliverer through this family. And no doubt as Jacob was growing up, 
he heard the stories from his dad about what God had said to his grandfather, and it was very important for Jacob, you know, to have been firstborn, but unfortunately he wasn't firstborn, he came out second. And you can imagine, you know, to be secondborn, it'd be one thing if you were born several years after your oldest brother, but to be secondborn and a twin, you were so close, so close to getting everything. When Jacob was born and they delivered the boys, Jacob had his, had his hand around the foot or the ankle of his older brother as if to pull him back so that Jacob could come first. And when the midwife saw it or whoever was delivering Jacob, they, they noted that and he got the name Jacob. The name comes from the word heel, but it also communicates that he's a trickster, that he's one who's good at pulling things. And he was. I should tell you that his older brother Esau was a macho man. He was covered with hair. He was tough. He grew up, you know, playing football and hunting. You know, I, I said to the, to the worship service last night, I imagine what it was like to see the two brothers picture side by side in the yearbook because they would have graduated the same year. You know, Esau, he loves everything. On the out, he's the outdoors guy, hunting, fishing, sports, and all this. And, and Jacob, you know, the Bible says he was an indoor guy and he liked to cook and all this. I imagine their high school yearbook, you know, beside Esau's picture, there's the guy with the broad grin and the crew cut, you know, and maybe he had his head shaved. And right next to his yearbook picture, it's football four years, baseball four years, field and track, all district, co-captain, all state. And besides Jacob's picture, it said home ec. And Esau was daddy's boy, and Jacob was mama's boy. Isaac, Esau, and Jacob's dad, he, Isaac would have taken Esau to football practice. Rebecca would have taught Jacob how to make more recipes. You know, Isaac, uh, Esau liked to watch ESPN and the Fishing Channel. Jacob liked to watch HG, uh, HG I can't even say it. It was an HGTV, help me, ladies, and, and the Cooking Channel. You know, I told you before what HGTV is. That's ESPN for women. That's... That's what that is. Because my wife makes me watch it. I can't get her to watch ESPN, but somehow I have to watch HGTV. I don't know how these deals work. But, but Jacob has one thing he's real good at. He's real good at pulling deals. I mean, Jacob could talk you out of anything. Someone said about Jacob that, you know, he could, come, he could go into a revolving door behind you and come out in front of you. And all his life, he's trying to get what he did not get by birth. The irony, and we don't have time to develop this, but the irony is, is that before he was born, God had promised already that the older was going to serve the younger. God was going to bless Jacob. But you know, there's nothing that will mess you up more than trying to get for yourself what God wants to give you. I mean, let's just talk about going to heaven for a moment. You know why a lot of people go to hell? Because they try to get for themselves what God wants to give you. And that happens to, to, to us even, those of us who have accepted Christ and accepted free gift of salvation. But when we start grasping for stuff that God wants to give us, it will mess us up. Interestingly, the Bible says that when Jesus came to earth, he did not grasp after deity because he already was God. Well, Jacob is going to try to make it happen. And he's a deal maker. He's a trickster. He knows how to pull stuff. He wants the birthright, which is the spiritual leadership of the family. He wants the blessing. That is something that his dad will confer upon the oldest son. And with that blessing will come all the good stuff and all the wealth and all the things that Jacob wants. And he's got to find some way to get it. So maybe he thinks at first the way to get it is to deal it out of his brother. Because he notices that Esau is just oblivious. 
I mean, he's been hit too many times on the head playing football, and he's not real bright, and Jacob is real sharp, and he's thinking, maybe I can wheel and deal this out of my brother. One day Esau is hunting. He hasn't taken anything to eat. He's had his mind on the pursuit, but when he comes to the house, he's starving, and Jacob is making chili. Now, you've got to have the Texas translation to know that, but that is true. He is making chili with beans. I'm telling you, it's in the Hebrew. Now, if you are hungry and you smell somebody cooking chili, I mean, that's just how I am. I saw that, that we, had, we had a chili cook-off here in Wichita yesterday. And, uh, you know, when you smell that aroma of chili, you just got to have some. And, and Jacob, you know, he's cooking it up and he's blowing it over there on Esau. And Esau's saying, man, Jacob, I got to have some of that chili. I'm dying. I'm going to starve to death if you don't give me some of that. And Jacob said, how much is it worth to you, bro? How about selling me your birthright? I had you by the heel when you were born. I've got you now. I got you with chili now. That wasn't a fair trade. Jacob wasn't necessarily into fairness. He just stayed just inside the law. You know, ethics and morals is something else with Jacob. But he said, you know, sell me your birthright. I'll give you a bowl of chili. And Esau said, I don't care. I'm going to die. And so he did the deal. And, and Jacob's feeling better, but he still doesn't have anything. Now time passes. And Jacob and Esau's dad, Isaac, is feeling poorly. And Isaac says, I think I'm going to die. How many of you ladies are married to a guy when he gets sick, he just turns into a baby? Now, please don't raise your hands, all right? Don't, don't nudge him. That'll embarrass me for having asked the question. But how many of you, you know, you see there's a guy, he just goes to work and everything's fine and he's tough. But when he gets sick, oh, man, he pulls up the covers and you've got the vaporizer going. And I think I'm going to die. And, uh, honey, can you bring me some broth? <laughs> You know, and he get the little uh, moan in the voice. And, and I think that's what was going on with Isaac. He was one of these guys, and, and he said, I think I'm going to die. Now, he wasn't going to die because if you read the Bible, he lived until Jacob's children were all born. But he said, I think I'm going to die. And he said, I need to bless one of the boys before I die. Rebecca, here's this. She loves Jacob. She doesn't want Esau to get the blessing. So she goes to Jacob, and she says, and by the way, forgive me for breaking a sentence. How many of us, our kids pick up stuff from us? Uh-huh. And so Rebecca, you know, when you think about Jacob pulling deals, I mean, his mother was real good at it, too. She said, honey, we're going to fool your daddy. You know, Isaac, he said, I think I'm going to die. And, he, and here's the deal. He was, he was also hungry. He said, before I die to Esau, I want you to go out to the field. I want you to kill a deer. And your mom's going to put all the spices and stuff on it, spice it up real good. I mean, after all, if you're really sick, do you think you need spicy food? But Isaac thought he did. He said to, to, to Esau, go out, kill the deer, bring it in. Your mom will spice it up. I'm going to cook it. I'm going to cook it for me. I'll eat it, and I'll bless you. And Rebecca hears this. She says to, to Jacob, we've got to do something real fast because this blessing's going to go down. And it counts. God's going to watch it from heaven. It's going to make a difference. And she said to Jacob, we've got a little plan cooking here. Here's what's going to happen. She said, I'm going to go out and take one of, the, one of the tender goats from the field, and I'm going to spice it up the same way as I would cook the venison. And you can take it in there, and your dad will bless you, and you get the blessing. And Jacob said, that'll never work because I don't smell. <clears throat> I don't smell like my brother. You know, I mean... Esau smelled like a locker room, and Jacob smelled like the, the, you know, the cologne counter at Dillard's. And so his mother said, I've got that covered. You just take the meat in and do what I tell you. She went in the closet and got Esau's clothes and put them on Jacob. And Jacob said, well, that's not going to work because my brother's real hairy. His mother said, don't worry about that. I'm going to put some goat skin on you. I'm telling you, this Esau must have been something. That's all I can figure 
And so Jacob does what his mother told him to do. He goes in there, he takes the meat in there, you know, he says, hi, Dad, I'm, I'm Esau. And his dad says, man, you sound like Jacob, but you sure smell like Esau. Let me have that meat. And he ate it, and he blessed Jacob. And Jacob got the blessing. He got the thing that he thought he wanted the wrong way. When Esau came in and he found out what came down, he told his dad, he said, hey, that wasn't, that, that wasn't me. Actually, it was his dad who recognized so that that was Jacob who came in here. He's a trickster. And, and Esau said, man, he, had, he got me by the heel again. He did it again. And he said, dad, bless me. And, he, and, and Isaac said, well, you know what? Your brother may have tricked me. He's the trickster, but the deal has gone down, and I can't do anything about it. And Esau said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Well, enter mom again, because mom knows she has a little bit of time, because Esau is not going to kill Jacob while his dad is still alive. And she says, son, you got to get out of here. My family lives up in Syria. And why don't you go up there and, and live with them for a while until your brother cools down. Now, as I said a few moments ago, Jacob was the deal maker. He was the trickster. He was the guy that, you know, had the, had the bank shot. He was the guy who knew the angles. He was the guy who could pull the stuff and make things happen. How many of you are just like that? How many of us are fixers? We're a little smarter than everybody else. We're just a little more clever. We sit back and watch the dumb stuff that others do, and we say, I can get an angle here. I'm going to reach out and get this for myself. I, I'm going to make this happen. I, I, I don't, I'm going to, my kids are grown up, but I'm going to manipulate the circumstances so that it will skew towards me. Or I, I'm dating this, this girl, and, and I, I think if I just play it just right, I can take advantage of her. I mean, we, we don't talk like that, but in our minds, our human thinking, our, our, our rationale, I can make this happen. The only thing about it is, when you and I get the best of somebody else by using unethical, wrong practices, we're not just dealing with those people, we are dealing with God. I, I uh, bought a home last year and uh, up in Bel Air, and, and one of the, I've got a beautiful yard, but one of the problems I had with my schedule, I just couldn't move all the sprinklers around, you know enough? And it got so hot and dry last summer that I almost lost part of my yard, and so I determined this year I was going to save my money and put in an irrigation system. And I did, and, and got a really good guy to do it, and and he, he came in, and when he cut the trenches for my irrigation system, he, he was really skillful and careful, and he laid the sod back on top, and I thought, wow, that looks really good. And it was good, and I got the sprinklers going, you know, my lawn turned real green. The only thing was, when he cut the trenches, and the only, he, he, there was no way he could avoid it, when he cut the trenches, he got down below the sod level and pulled weeds up. And all throughout all those lines in my yard, in my beautiful green yard, there are weeds now that I've got to deal with. That's what Jacob was doing. He was cutting his trenches, but he was digging into stuff that he didn't want to, to have to deal with. See, the thing about it is, what Jacob found was that even though he was making these deals and pulling stuff on people and grabbing people by the heel and coming out ahead of them in a revolving door, down below was the pipeline of God's principle of sowing and reaping. Have you ever heard what goes around comes around? That's not accidental. God wrote that. <laughs> God said, he said it this way, he said, whatever you plant is what you're going to grow. What did Jacob plant it? Well, he had planted deception and conniving and cheating, and now it was going to happen to him. Let me tell you how. He goes to work for his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, 
He should have known it was in the family. And he gets there, and he's just totally smitten with this man's daughter, Rachel. Now, I'm telling you, the Bible says this. The Bible says she had a beautiful face and a great figure. And Jacob was in love. And after working there for a little while, Uncle Laban comes to Jacob and said, I can't have you working for me free. What do you want? And Jacob says, I want your daughter. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll give her to you if you work for me for seven years. Now, working for seven years to get a woman is a challenge. And I can tell you, he must have loved her because you and I know what a good deal maker this guy is. He bought the birthright for a bowl of chili, and now he's saying, I'll work for this woman for seven years. I mean, this is now a matter of the heart. How many of you men, do not raise your hand, would have worked for your wife seven years? You couldn't go out with her. You couldn't touch her. You would have worked for her for seven years. And I don't want you to raise your hand because some of you would be lying. It's a bad idea to lie in church or anywhere else for that matter. And it, the Bible says it just seemed like a few days because he loved her. But the final, finally the time came for the wedding, and all the, you know, all the lights and the, you know, the lanterns and stuff were out, and the people were dancing and singing and feasting and all this. And I wish I had some sort of genteel way to break this to you, but I just got to lay it down for you like the Bible gives it. When everything got dark, Jacob went back to his tent, and Laban came to bring his daughter to Jacob's tent. You've got to understand, it's completely dark. The next morning when Jacob wakes up, he discovers that he does not have Rachel. He's not married to Rachel. He is married to her older sister, Leah. And the name Leah means, and this is in the Hebrew, no sparkle in the eyes. She was dull. She was plain. And Jacob did not love her. He woke up in the morning and found out that his father-in-law had tricked him. Oh, what goes around comes around, right? And he goes to daddy to complain. He said, I don't know, you know if you realize this or not, but you happened to bring the wrong daughter to my tent last night. And Laban said, oh, Jacob, I forgot to tell you, we have a custom in our land that the older daughter has to get married first. Now, the time to have told Jacob would have been seven years before when he said, I'll work for Rachel. But Jacob has now dug into the pipeline. He is now trenched down into the weeds, and they are coming up. And there would be an ongoing situation for 20 years between these two men, one trying to get the better of the other. This man, Laban, changed Jacob's wages ten times. He said, well, here's what your wages will be. But then when Jacob started profiting, he said, well, I can't pay you this anymore. I'm going to have to cut your pay. Ten times he cut Jacob's pay. And it went back and forth. And finally, when it came down to the, to the point where they realized they couldn't stay together too much longer, Jacob said, I'll make a deal with you. He said, I'll, I'll, any of the, 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 the cattle that are, that are striped or spotted or dark, they're worthless, let me keep those and you can have all the, you can have all the good cattle. And then Jacob performed a selective breeding tactic or trick. And almost all the cattle were the ones that Jacob could keep. So back and forth, they kept dealing each other out of stuff. And finally, it got so painful, Jacob knew he could not live with his in-laws anymore. And so he left. But the only problem is, the only place he can go is back home. Does he have an issue at home? Yeah. He's got a brother who swore he's going to kill him. Now think about this. Here is a guy that for 40 years has pulled every imaginable trick. He's smarter than everybody else. He plays the angles. He's going to make stuff work. He can get you by the heel. He can come in a revolving door behind you and walk out ahead of you. And yet here he is. He doesn't have any place to go. He now has wives and kids and some cattle. But he can't stay there and he can't go home. And, and he wakes up one day and he says to himself, what am I going to do? Well, the only thing he can do is to start heading back, to home, back toward home. 
And he has the hope, you know, time heals all wounds and wounds all heal. He's saying to himself, maybe my brother has cooled off a little bit. So they start the journey, and after a little while, he sends some of his men to spy to go forward to see if Esau is still upset. And they come back and say, oh, yeah, he's still upset. Man, he's, not, he's coming to meet you. I mean, you're, you're, it's not that he's waiting for you when you get there. He's on his way to meet you. And, oh, by the way, Jacob, there is one more piece of information you need. He's bringing 400 men with him. He's going to make sure you don't get away. Now this, ladies and gentlemen, is where we find our text today. Jacob does everything he can do. He puts as much distance between Esau and the rest of his family as he can. He tries to send some sort of present to, to calm Esau down. But he finally gets to the place where he must talk to God. That's where we pick it up. Genesis 32, verse 22. During the night... Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now the first words that I have boxed in my text are the words all alone. I'm talking to some of you today who are just like Jacob. You may not have pulled things as bad as Jacob. It's just that you feel like if you have enough time, you can make it work. And it may, it may even be benevolent in nature. I mean, you may be trying to make everybody have a perfect life. You may be one of those people that, if, you know, you just, when, when you, sometimes you just want to get, say to yourself, if everybody would just listen to me, life would be so much better. If you say that, you have Jacob's personality just in a more benevolent fashion. But the deal is, someday you're going to come to the place where you're going to wake up and you're going to realize, I cannot fix everybody else's life. I can't even fix my own life. The words that come out to me are all alone. There's nobody to, nobody to swindle, nobody to cheat, nobody to pull a deal on, nobody to use his superior intellect on. He's all by himself. And for many of us, we, we really can never find help until we get to the place where we're all by ourselves. But then somebody shows up. Not an ordinary visitor. We don't know a whole lot about how the encounter happened. We don't know if the guy came and found Jacob. We don't know what went down. All we know is they got into a wrestling match. And this guy was at least an angel. And it appears that it was God in flesh because when the wrestling match was over, Jacob would say, I have seen God face to face. I think what's interesting about this is that Jacob finally reached out to grab hold of the right person. I mean, he tried to grab Esau. He tried to grab Laban. He was always trying to grab somebody. That's how he got his name. But finally, he got a hold of the right person. He held on to God. And they wrestled all night. I, I know this is a metaphor because most of us are not going to have God show up our, at our address and go down to the basement and start wrestling. It won't happen like that. But it will happen. It'll come down like this. You'll find yourself in a situation where it's everything you can do just to hang on in life. And what's going on is God is letting you get into a wrestling match. 
Jacob was all alone. Toward morning, the person he was wrestling with said, let me go. The day is breaking. Now, I should, help, I, I should help us all understand here today that Jacob was really not holding this guy there because when this guy got ready to leave, he just touched Jacob's hip or his sciatic nerve, and Jacob couldn't walk anymore very well. So this person, whom I believe to be our Lord in, in human form before his birth, this person said, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm not trying to do a deal anymore. I'm not trying to cut any corners. I've just got to have your blessing in my life. I cannot go a step further without your blessing. Now, one could look at this scenario and consider that, that Jacob is completely helpless. I would present to you this is exactly where God wanted him to be. He is finally in a place of strength because he's saying, I cannot do this anymore by myself. What happens next is very telling. In verse 27, the person who's wrestling with Jacob says, What is your name? Don't you know that God knew his name? What's God calling Jacob to do? Well, what does his name mean? Tricky. I mean, God is saying, Who are you? Some of us need to be in that room alone with God. You know, nobody else. When God says, Who are you? We tell him, who we are in no uncertain terms. There are some of us today who could get instant help if we would get along with God and tell God who we really are. You say, well, Mark, I'd be different if my mother had... Don't, don't invite your mother into that room. You say, well, if my dad had, if my dad had raised me a different way, don't, don't let your dad in that room. You say, well, my kid's just driving me nuts. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. You've probably seen it. said, in Sandy's hereditary, you get it from your kids. Don't let your kids in that room. You say, well, my parents, they're just overbearing. They just make my life miserable. Don't invite your parents into that room. You say, well, it's the principal of school or my teacher's of school or it's the law enforcement or my boss at work. These people just, they're the reason why I am what I am. Don't let anybody else in that room. Let God ask you, who are you? No excuses. No reasons. No if this had been or could have been or should have been or whatever. Don't let anything else in that room, just you and God. God said to Jacob, who are you? And I see him as he finally owns up to who he is. He said, I'm tricky. I'm the trickster. You know, we shy away from telling God who we are. It's not easy to tell God, I'm proud. It's not easy to tell God, I have an attitude. It's not easy to tell God that you're into pornography. It's not easy to tell God that you're a liar. It's not easy to tell God that you cheat. I mean, we, we try everything we can to keep from telling God who we are. What a mistake that is because, A, God knows everything about us and remembers everything about us, and, B, God is the only one who can help you. I mean, Jesus said he came into the world to say to those who are lost, if you're found, what can God do for you? Frederick the Great king of Prussia, was touring a Berlin jail. And one by one, he met the inmates there in the jail. And the inmates all told him their story of how they were all innocent. You know, he would ask one, what are you here for? I'm here for murder. Are you, but I don't deserve to be here. I didn't commit the murder. I'm innocent. I mean, one by one, all the prisoners in the jail told this king that they were innocent. Finally, he came to one guy and asked him what he was there for. He said, armed robbery, sir. 
He said, are you guilty? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you deserve to be here? He said, yes, sir. I deserve to get everything I have coming to me. Frederick the Great turned to the jailer and said, turn this poor wretch loose. I won't have him in here corrupting the rest of these innocent men. <laughs> See, when you tell God who you are, God can do something about that. He said, I'm, I'm the trickster. Now look at what happens next. This is in verse 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Now, the name Israel means prince with God. My good friend, Nisam Warnock, who's the rabbi at the synagogue, he and I go to lunch every once in a while. I went to lunch this week, and, and uh, he was asking me, he said, what are you preaching, Mark? And I told him, and, and he, he's a Hebrew scholar, and he was sharing with me this piece of information about this name change. Because Jacob had a hold of Esau's heel when he was born, the name Jacob means attached to the ground, attached to the earth. But when God changed his name to Israel, Nisim told me it means he was attached to God. How many of us need to lose our attachment with this world? Our worldly ways of making things happen. Our scheming, our dreaming, our planning, our conniving, our gossiping, our criticism, our cheating, all the things that we do to employ circumstances to make things skew our direction. How many of us need to lose that attachment with the earth and say, I'm not going to try to control this anymore. I'm going to trust God to do for me what I can't do for myself. I like this because God said to Jacob, you have fought, you've wrestled with God and man, and you've won. Are you listening to me, please? Because this is where it really it gets down to where you and I live. Did he beat God? What did God mean when he said, you've won? He beat Jacob. For the first time in his life, he beat Jacob. I mean, his, his enemy was not Esau. His problem was not Laban. His problem was Jacob. And God said, you finally defeated the trickster. Felix the cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat, whenever he gets in a fix, he reaches into his bag of tricks. Jacob closed his bag of tricks and couldn't try it anymore. What happens next is kind of cool. You know, Jacob gets over this encounter, but he still has to go meet his brother. And he's heard the word. His brother's coming to kill him with 400 soldiers. So Jacob takes off. He doesn't know what to expect. Beyond that, you know, the angel touched his hip, or Jesus, or whoever it was, touched his hip. And now the sciatic nerve is, is acting up. And if you've ever had sciatic, I had it for 10 months, and I, didn't, I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand, I couldn't walk. I mean, everything was painful. And that's how Jacob is. I mean, he's limping along. He's a mess. He can't fight. He can't pull anything. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And here he is. He's going to meet Esau like two trains on the same tracks are coming toward each other. But what Jacob does not know is that God not only has touched his hip, God has touched Esau's heart. Because when Esau sees him, he, all he remembers is how much he loves his brother. And Esau runs to Jacob and throws his arms around him and says, welcome home, brother. See, when, when we're not the trickster anymore and we become attached to God, God begins to do things that we don't have the ability to do. That's why I've, been that's why I've turned this sermon or titled this sermon, Cruise. And, and another metaphor that I have for it, remember the Staples commercial where they hit the easy button? Basically what God was saying to Jacob is, you've tried it the hard way, don't try it my way. 
You've tried to do this on your own, but you can't live it on your own. How many of us have discovered today that we cannot live our lives on our own? That's what God wants you to know. God wants you to know you can't do it by yourself. In my office, there's an antique, a valuable antique. But I don't treasure it because of its monetary wealth. I treasure it because there's a story that goes with it. It was given to me by a guy who I met one day through a strange set of circumstances. He was a young man in his 30s, big six-figure income, only worked six months out of the year, had the cars, the boats. He had everything in life that, that people want, except he was on his way to take his life. He'd already bought the gun. And he was on his way, driving on his way to get to a place where he could pull the trigger and end his life. In those days, we had a radio broadcast on every day. And by happenstance, as he was making this final drive, he turned on his radio and he caught our broadcast. I happened to be, for all of you old-time people here at Messiah, I was in a series on the Holy Spirit. This guy didn't know about God. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit. He, he didn't understand probably most of what I was saying. But he picked out one line. He cherry-picked one line out of the message because it just got all over him. I was trying to explain to all of us that God gave us the Holy Spirit because we can't live life by ourselves. And all he heard was that one line, you can't do it by yourself. He waited till the end of the broadcast, caught our church name, called the office, got one of the secretaries, and he said, is this a church with the pastor who says you can't live life by yourself? She said, sounds like my pastor. She said, do you think he would talk to me today? And she said, I, I think he would. I know he would. She said, let me call him. So I came to my office that Tuesday afternoon, and I met this guy for the first time, and he told me his story and all the stuff that he was miserable about. And he said, is it really true that I can't live by, life by myself? I said, yes, it's true. He said, well, I know it's true. But he said, can I get any help? And I told him about God and Jesus. And that day in my office, he knelt and gave his life to Christ. He followed the Lord, and he's in another state now, and he sent me, he sent me this antique. And every time I see that antique, I'll never will forget that day. He had said, he said, I want you to never to forget the day I came to you and said, I couldn't do it by myself. That's what happened here with Jacob. He finally told God, I can't do this by myself. God knows that. He's just waiting for you. He's waiting for you to get into that room alone with him and say, God, here's who I am. I know who you are. And here's who I am. And I'm ready to quit pulling ankles. I'm ready to quit trying tricks. I'm ready to quit trying to make this happen on my own. I'm going to trust you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Let's bow our heads for prayer.